0: All right. This is our third lesson. And really the first two we wrote because one of the greatest deficiencies or deficits I see in men, Christian men in America, is this lack of gumption, this lack of rising up and being men in charge, men of authority, men of power, men that know how to lead. That really that's what we're saying is we're seeing men who don't know how to lead anymore. And the devil likes it that way because if we don't lead and we're the ones called to lead, some little hireling, some little, I don't know, Dictator, backstabber will come up. Some Jezebel will come up behind us and they'll rob us of our leadership when God has ordained men to lead. Now, we're not against women leading. There's Deborah's and whatnot, but we're talking about men. This is our godly men curriculum. So our first two lessons were aimed at showing us that we are men of authority, that God has given us dominion. He's given us command. He's given us power. And yet what we're fighting as men in America is uh, people don't want us to lead because the devil knows that if the men lead, uh, then he's in trouble. So what we're going to look at this morning is what I call the attributes of Ahab because though uh, we covered two lessons on Jezebel for the ladies and the godly women, not much teaching I can think of has ever been done on Ahab. I've honestly never heard any teaching on Ahab. So we're going to cover this morning what I call the attributes of Ahab. And the thing you're going to see about Ahab over and over again is he did not realize what authority he had and he did not know how to use it. And that is what cost him so dearly. So let's jump in here because we do have a long curriculum says, perhaps the most notoriously wicked woman in the entire Bible is Jezebel. Amen to that. She may even outrank the whore of Babylon. That's saying something. For all the teaching about and against Jezebel, very little teaching has been done on her husband, King Ahab. We must understand that without an Ahab, there would not have been a Jezebel. I was telling Pastor Titus about this yesterday. He said, yeah, he also, among Ahab's sins, he didn't know how to pick a wife. So, men, we got to know how to pick a wife. Don't pick a woman stronger than you. And ladies, single ladies, just while we're on it, don't fall for a guy who's weaker than you. You've got to find a man who, because everybody's personalities are different places on the spectrum. You've got to make sure you have a man whose personality is stronger than yours to rein you in. You know, ladies, if you're a nine on the personality scale, don't go marry a three. Though a Jezebel will because she can always be in charge. If you're a nine, you've got to find a guy who's a 10 plus. And even then you're going to have to pray. And then if you're a little sissy guy, like a two or three, a squeaky guy, uh, don't go looking for a seven, eight, nine or 10 just because she's pretty. Find someone uh, equal, you know, a two or three as well. Otherwise, this is going to be lopsided. It's going to be like somebody with one leg shorter than the other. You're going to run in circles and it's going to be miserable. We will see that Ahab was just as weak in his role as Jezebel was overbearing in her role. Men, don't be an Ahab. This is one of the things I see as shortcoming in American men and even men in our church, men who are not leading. We've got to put leadership in you, men, that we will cover this in the weeks ahead. But you're commanded to lead your wife. You're commanded to lead your children. You're commanded to lead on the job. You're commanded to lead the home. What we're seeing, though, is men, they don't want to do that. American men do not like responsibility. America does not like responsibility. Everybody's shirking and shifting blame. Leaders take responsibility. So let's look at our first verse. Unlike the teaching on Jezebel, we, we, we covered every scripture the Bible had to say on Jezebel. We won't be able to do that with King Ahab because there's more than we can cover. We're going to cover major points, so we're going to jump around, but you, you can go study it on your own. First Kings 1630 says, and Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Ahab was evil. So we're going to we're talking about men. Don't be an Ahab. Ahab was evil. Don't be as evil as your dad. Be better than your dad. Uh, don't don't be as evil as your granddad. Be, be better than your granddad. You ought to be improving. Every generation should improve over the last one. That's how it's supposed to be. And your children that you raise up should be raised up to be holier than you. And I have learned, we'll cover it in a couple weeks when we co- talk about the, the, the father, the man of God, or the father, the holy father, the godly father, that really your children, you've got to see your children as your disciples. And you make a disciple out of them. And you train them in the things of Jesus Christ as you would somebody you just wanted Jesus. I would almost say now as I meditate on it and look at it more and more as we're facing our own parenthood, that your children ought to be your greatest disciples, which means they ought to be little used, which they want to be anyway. So you might as well exploit that for the kingdom of God and make them little use. Make them little Christians, little mothers, little fathers for Jesus Christ. But not not Ahab. He did evil more than all that were before him. He didn't serve the Lord God or the living God. God had honored Ahab by allowing him to be king. And yet Ahab dishonored God by not serving him. Godly men honor God. Men, if you're married, God has honored you by giving you a wife. You better lead her. If you have a job, God has honored you by giving you a job. You better work hard on your job and be a leader on the job. If you have children, God has honored you by giving you children. You better honor God by being a good father. That's what we're talking about here. For whatever reason, men, they're just lazy. Uh, we, we, we have flesh, but we've got to overcome flesh because we're going to see with Ahab, it was just easier for him to kick back and let everybody do something else. First Kings 18, 5 and 6, And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land, unto all the fountains of water, and unto all brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way. Uh, What's going on here is Elijah has come and pronounced judgment. There's been no rain, so now the kingdom's drying up. And now you've got uh, the king and his right-hand man, Obadiah. They said, look, let's, let's go search the land to find some springs, where there might be some grass still growing around it, that we might find some straw so that all of the livestock doesn't die. So what can we learn from that? Because that's kind of an obscure verse. Well, number one, I would say in this time of God proclaimed drought because of the sins of Ahab, Ahab is seeking grass and not God. (laughs) God is the one that pronounced judgment. God is the one that brought the drought and Ahab seeking grass and not God. What this says for us, men, is that when things start to dry up in our life, we don't seek the arm of the flesh. We don't seek a third job or a fourth job or a fifth job. We don't seek to cash out our 401k. We seek God. This is where we see Ahab missing it. He was seeking natural things. His problem was himself. His problem was his sin and his wife. But rather than seeking God for a solution, he goes and seeks grass. We've all done it. Oh, money's tight. I'll work some more hours. Why don't you work for God? I'll seek the boss out, see if I can get a couple hours of overtime. Why don't you seek God out? Or whatever the natural solution may be to the problem you're facing, why would you seek a natural answer rather than God when God is the solution anyway? So he was seeking grass and not God. He is trying to fix the problem of the drought without fixing the problem of his sin. First and foremost, men, you got to be fixing your sin. Modern Ahabs are also stubborn and will refuse to seek God when their life is falling apart. They'll seek for a natural solution to a supernatural problem. We can't do that, men. It's got to be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You have a bad day, you're talking to Jesus. You get frustrated, you talk to Jesus. This issue next door with the weights dropping, that has eaten me up since Wednesday. I was up till about midnight talking to the Lord about, Lord, I want to be a man of war. Lord, I really want to go fight these guys. Lord, help me. Because I'm not going to let that thing consume me. Because it irritates me to think that somebody may be so disrespectful to the house of God, they want to lift weights when we're trying to save souls. So I have to talk to the Lord about that or it'll be a big problem for me. We've got to seek Jesus, Jesus, Jesus first, men, in everything. And lean not to your own understanding. Lean not to the arm of your own flesh, but lean unto Jesus. Like Ahab, natural Ahabs or modern ones, they seek and search for natural springs and fountains of water. To relieve their spiritual drought. See, that, it's almost a, an insult because he's searching for natural springs of water when Jesus Christ said, Out of your belly flows rivers of living water. So you have a lot of types and shadows there. He's looking for natural water when Jesus said, If you're thirsty, come unto me. So one thing he's not doing is coming unto Jesus. What else can we see from this one little, these two verses? Ahab the king was out searching for water and grass himself. I asked the question Since when do kings do these menial tasks? Since when does a king go look for grass? Since when does a king take care of these little peddly things? Why is he out doing this? Why does he not have 10,000 soldiers under his command searching high and low? It shows that he doesn't know his office. It shows he doesn't understand the authority that he stands in. It shows that he doesn't know who he is. Men, you gotta know who you are in Christ. It's not cockiness. It's not arrogance. It's not arrogance to say, I'm the head of this home and it will be done as I say. And we're praying tonight. I don't want to pray. I'm going to spank you. Then we're going to get down on your bed and we're going to pray, honey. We're going to pray, daughter. We're going to pray, son. It's not arrogance. It's you being what God's called you to be. The world and the psychology and American cultures try to strip us of our leadership because without a head, the people perish. Without a vision, the people perish. Without a strong voice of leadership, one translation says, the people cast off restraint. That's what the devil wants. He does not want you to be a strong voice of leadership because when you are not a leader and when you should be, the people under you cast off restraint and the devil reigns supreme. We don't want you to be an Ahab. Since when do kings do these kinds of menial tasks? Kings have servants for this kind of footwork. This shows Ahab's lack of understanding concerning his authority as king. Modern Ahab's also lack the understanding of their God-given authorization. Modern Ahab's don't know how authority works for their benefit. Remember the centurion said, I am a man under authority, saying to this man, go and he goeth it. Men, you are under authority. Therefore, you have the authority to say, do it and it will be done. Go and it shall be gone. Come and it will come. The neat thing is, about that centurion. And remember Jesus Christ said of that centurion there in Matthew's gospel. He said, behold, I have not found this great faith anywhere. Not in all of Israel. In Roman times, the centurion was only one person removed from Caesar. And you or I are only one person removed from God the Father. Jesus Christ stands between us. In Roman times, it went Caesar, senator, centurion. And they all viewed Caesar as God. We are one person removed from God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're just like the centurion. We are men under authority and we ought to be using our authorization. Go here and get this done. Come here and get this done. Do this and it shall be done. But what we're do- we're afraid to take charge. We're afraid to hurt somebody's feelings. We're afraid to correct. We're afraid to discipline. We're afraid to structure. We're afraid to organize. Just, men, you ought to really just step up and make a decision. It's a lot of fun. And watch God back you up. And there's a lot of decisions you'll make. God doesn't care what you do. It's neither here nor there. You just say, I want it done this way. And watch it get done that way. It feels really good. And it builds confidence in you. What, really what we deal with, men, is we're not confident we're hearing from God accurately enough. Or we're not confident God's going to back us up. But if God gave you the authority, he'll honor the authority he gave you. Caesar's not going to come along and say, Centurion, why did you tell your little under soldier to go get you some coffee? Because I wanted to. Oh, okay. We're, we've been trained to be spineless men. We've been trained to be panty waists. We've been trained to be uh, anemic, weaklings. And that's why the devil reigns supreme. That's how he's tearing this country apart. We in America see the disintegration of the family. And now, every, half of every marriage ends in divorce, you have fatherless homes. What we need are men that rise up. And if every man would lead in his life, my God, you would have a bunch of Christian leaders who are advancing the kingdom rather than seeing families torn apart or mothers having to do all the work. Now, if you're a single mom, God gives you grace for it; you can be a Deborah. But if you're married, then you better rise up and do something, man, and be the leader. Point three, Ahab went by himself. Without a kingly entourage of advisors or chamberlains or servants. I mean, since when did the president go by himself anywhere? It's just him and his right hand man and they're off in the woods. That is not even smart in biblical times. Where's your man of armor? Where's your man of war? Where, where, where's your guard? I mean, he's not a David. David could have killed anybody by himself. He, he's Ahab, but he went by himself with this little, this little chamberlain. This shows his insecurity, number one, because he wouldn't surround himself with counselors or advisors. He's too afraid to get input because he might hear the word no. Modern Ahabs are also insecure and don't like to be around too many people. They seldom allow sound counsel into their life. Godly men must have an understanding of their proper seat of authority and know how to use it. So what we're seeing now, two two passages in a row, he doesn't He doesn't know how to use his authority. He doesn't know who he is. He's doing all this work by himself. Really, man, you've got to understand that your home is your abode. It's your domain. Your wife maintains it. She governs it. But it's as you say so. It's your home. You're the head of it. But the Bible says the woman keeps the home. So it's almost like you're the president and she's the governor. You say how it does and that's how she carries it out. Your children should be disciplined according to you, husband. Even Hebrews 12 says we also had fathers after the flesh who chastened us and disciplined us according to their liking. Father, you have every right, husband, you have every right to set your home in order as it suits you. Of course, it must line up with the word, but as it suits you, this is all right. We've been taught, though, you don't get a say, man. It's sexist if you have a say. You're going to hurt somebody's feelings if you have a say. And what we've seen in the last 60 years is the total emasculation of the male sex in our nation. And now it even comes out in our current administration of government. We're too afraid to put our foot down and say, this is what we're going to do and if you cross the line, we're going to airstrike you. We've seen it. 60 years of rebellion. Men, you've got to take it back. Men, you've got to rise up and be what God's called you to be. Let's look at our next verse here. 1 Kings 18, 19 and 20. Now therefore send, this is Elijah speaking, and gather to me all... Israel unto Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. What we have is a showdown. Uh, Ahab, Elijah finds Ahab, shows up, and says, All right, it's going to be a showdown, and we're going to see who God really is. And in the famous quote How long will you be halt between two opinions? If God be God, let God be God. If Baal be God, then let Baal be God. But we're going to have a showdown. Enough is enough. Something's got to give. So we're going to have a showdown. But Elijah is now commanding Ahab. And Ahab obeys. And this is no small task. He says, get all of Israel. So I don't know how long that took. Months? How long did it take 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago to send word out through all of Israel to come to Jerusalem and watch a big revival meeting? It could have taken months, six months, nine months. It's a long time. And it took the total mobilization of all the king's forces to do that. What can we learn from here? Point one Ahab obeys the man he just put down. And verse 17, he says, Have you come to me, my enemy? Have you found me, my enemy? He's not your enemy. He's the one trying to keep you in the will of God. <laughs> so he obeyed. Look how double minded he is. He obeys the guy he just called his enemy. How weak is that? You don't obey your enemy. You don't obey somebody you call your enemy, who you thinks against you. He's just that weak, though. Elijah's instructions were no small undertaking to assemble all of Israel to Mount Carmel. This shows Ahab's lack of backbone. He obeys whoever has the strongest or loudest personality. You can't be that way, men. You we're not we're not against submission. We teach it heavily around here. But you can't be the type of guy that if somebody shows up who's better looking than you or smarter than you or or has more gravitas than you or whatever. You can't bend to him just because he's new. You can only bend to what's proper. Ahab, if you'll study his whole life, he was always submitting to whoever was stronger. Not realizing that he had the authority that trumped everybody. He was king. He obeyed Elijah, which was a good thing. But if somebody else had came along with a louder voice, he'd obeyed him. Men, you've got to stand for the truth. It doesn't matter if the person coming to you has more money than you. Stand for the truth. It doesn't matter if the boss has more authority than you. Stand for truth. What we see is too many people, men, since we're dealing with godly men in this teaching, we want to bend for whoever we want to please or whoever we like when you ought to be fearing God. Ahab was tossed to and fro. He was double-minded. Whoever was stronger, whoever was louder, whoever was before him, that's who he he obeyed. He was a man-pleaser. And men, you must be a God-pleaser. You can respectfully disobey authority. You can respectfully disobey your boss if he's out of the will of God or asking you to commit treason or uh, break the law. But you got to stand for truth and you got to be a God-pleaser. Spineless men are man-pleasers. And one of the things I'm learning, I've been thrown into the fire as a pastor, men don't like confrontation. Now, Jezebels love it. They eat it up. They thrive off of it. But for whatever reason, most American men fear confrontation. And a good leader is not intimidated by confrontation. A good leader realizes it's part of leading. You're going to have to confront something if you're going to lead it. Sure. This is the kingdom. We confront darkness every day. And you've got to rise up and be not an Ahab, but a man of God confront what you got to confront. It doesn't mean you're always confrontational. It doesn't mean you're always wanting to stomp somebody if they disagree with you, but you're willing to stand for what's right. Ahab was not like that. He was always quick to follow somebody else. Godly men recognize true authority and godly men know when to lead and they know when to follow. A lot can be said on that. Notice that Ahab and Jezebel had his and her prophets. Very common today is his and her finances. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. If Jesus Christ said you're one flesh, then I would assume that also means one checkbook. <laughs> they had his and her prophets. Now, I don't mind his and her vanity sinks and his and her closets, you know, because most of the time the women's closet outgrows the man's closet. And most of the time the woman outgrows her closet. But she won't get rid of the size four, five, six, and 8 when she's a 15, 20, and 35. <laughs> now I'm preaching really good. We don't have a problem with his and her closets and, you know, his and her toothbrushes, whatever. Uh, But his and her profits, it shows a real separation there. And we see in America, I've dealt with it, his and her finances. It's rebellion. Because she won't trust him or he's too spineless to lead. And this is common in America, his and her finances. Because it shows a lack of submission. It shows a lack of one-mindedness. It shows a lack of unity. Because did you not know marriage is a team? And you have to work together. One vision. Otherwise, you have division. So his and her profits. Imagine that it's been going on ever since. This is often the case today in marriages with a weak man. Uh Oh, the marriage is divided with the woman having her finances, her accounts, her friends, her hobbies, basically separate lives lived under one roof. Now I'm stomping all over America. You you married each other because you you, you had something in common, guys. You married each other because you love one another. You met each other at some common ground, whether it's a hockey game or a football game or a dance, I I don't know, a, a music thing. You had something in common. How come you grew apart? When you find me a weak man, I'll show you a divided marriage because she's strong and she won't submit and he's too spineless to take back over. You got division. He has his hobbies, she has hers. He has his finances, she has Because the excuse is, it's just easier. Oh, so we're all about catering to the flesh now. Oh, because heaven forbid it actually be hard and you make something right in the eyes of God. Heaven forbid this Christian walk actually be a challenge. I forgot Jesus said, easy is the way into heaven. It's like a water slide. Just hop on and enjoy the ride. <laughs> That's not what Jesus Christ taught in the Gospels. So you show me a weak man, I'll show you a divided life under one roof. His and hers, his and hers, his and hers, his and hers (laughs) on things that should be one. Yeah. These spouses look more like roommates than husband and wife. That's a scary place to be. You did not get married to end up roommates, ships passing in the night like some college living arrangement. It's not why you got married. You got married because you love one another and you, man, you said in your heart, this is the woman for me and I want to take care of her all the days of my life. I want to be her man and I want to be her protector and I want to be her knight in shining armor and I want to be her provider and I want to be her comforter and I want to be her help. You never got married so you could say, I I, I want this thing to end up like my roommate Sal back in college. Except Sal's a her. It's Sally now. It's not what but something happened. The man lost his spine and turned to jelly rather than being the leader. His and her prophets. Come on now. Amen. Verse point three, not verse two point three. It should be noted that Ahab never assembled Jezebel's prophets of Asherah. Could it be that he feared her more than God? The word of the Lord said, get me all of her prophets that eat at her table. And he never did only the 450 of his prophets show up. Her prophets, he never, I bet he was terrified. This is just me conjecturing. He was afraid to go to the Jezebel, you know, the feminist, the liberated one, the bra-burning one, and her homosexual prophets. We taught that in the Jezebel class because her prophets ministered to Asherah, a female goddess. So you had men that catered to a woman and femininity, that's homosexuality. Her, He wouldn't deal with it. He just said, uh, well, these 400." 50 do because I'm not going to go talk to her. I, I, I never listen to her. I mean, I never talk to her. She talks to me and I obey. I'm her lap dog. Yep, yep. So it should be noted, he never assembled those prophets. And I think it was because he was more terrified of her than the man of God or than the word of the Lord coming unto him. Next verse. As we're ripping it up pretty good, moving along. You guys are really enjoying this. All quiet there. <laughs> Hopefully, when we're done with these eight weeks, you guys will come out of here stronger men. I'm gonna lead. Yeah, I'm gonna be a leader. I'm gonna. Yeah, I've. I got 19 things to fix right now, and go home and fix them. First Kings 19:1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Now this is after. The fire from heaven, the altars consumed and uh, Israel repents and they says, oh, Jehovah, he's God, we'll serve him. And, And Elijah says, prove it then. Get me these prophets. Let's kill them. And the Bible says Elijah cut off their heads. Can you imagine the preacher killing people? Because he has the authority to kill sin. Not these little panty wasted preachers we have anymore who just want to wink and blink and tell you how wonderful you are. This man, when he got done preaching his sermon and Israel turned back to God, he killed 450 people, slaughtered them. So Ahab has to run home and tell mama what happened. <laughs> <laughs> he never once talks to God. Let me go talk to my goddess. Oh, he runs and talks to his wife first. Of course he does. He has to report to her. This is one thing I've also observed growing up in America, how daddies have to report to mommy their comings and goings. Now, I'm not against submission. I'm not. You need the husband say, honey, I've got to do this. Honey, I'm I'm, all, I'm not saying that I'm not saying disrespect your wife. I am not saying don't have communication. That's a big problem in marriages. Not enough communication. But I'm talking about when you're so whipped by the woman who is not in charge that you have to report your comings and goings to her. We have problems. I right, think we understand the balance of that. Yeah. You know, it's like me saying, you know, Luke, uh, I need you to do this, uh, but do you have to get a yard pass first from your wife? That's unacceptable. If he's the head and I need him to help me in the church, Luke, get over here. Let me call my wife and let her know I'll be up late. Fine, but you're going to be here. Now, honey, um, pastor called, and uh, he's needing some help. Um, would it be okay with you if I go help our spiritual leader? That ain't going to fly. Not in the kingdom. Honey, pastor called. I got to take off. Uh, love you. Hey, go help pastor. Yeah. That's how it should be. Yeah. Ahab had to report to Jezebel and she made the decisions. You can almost hear Ahab asking, what are we going to do? He killed all of my prophets. <laughs> Godly men run their household for the head of every woman is the man. First Corinthians eleven three. three. I have to teach this in America. <laughs> We're the Christian nation, you know, but I have to teach this. <laughs> for the head of every household, the head of every wife is the man. Period. I like what Pastor Okwokwo pointed out. He said uh, the Southern Baptists had to tactfully add when they had their uh, their convention a few years ago that we they said we still affirm and reaffirm that the woman should graciously submit to her husband. He said they added gracious because they are afraid of the women because the Bible does not say graciously. (laughs) Even they, he said, he pointed this out to me in private, even they had to cater to the lesbian, the feminist spirit. They said, we still believe the Bible, but um, let's add to the word and do it graciously. <laughs> Amen. He had to go report to his wife. You know, in my home, because I'm the head of my home, just like I'm the head of the ministry. If the Lord speaks to me and say, honey, this is what the Lord said, we're going to do it. All right, cool. Honey, uh, the Lord spoke to me, we're going to give this much money. She'll say, honey, we don't have that much money. I don't care. Find it. If the Lord spoke to me, we're giving that much money to that ministry. Mm. All right. I don't get her permission. Now, there's things I submit to her in because I've delegated authority to her. Honey, can we do this? Honey, what do the finances look like? Honey, uh, what do we got over here? And I submit to the authority I've delegated to her. But if it's not delegated authority, I tell her what we're going to do. And that's just how it is. And I know feminists hate that, but they're rebellious. And don't forget, like we say, feminism is anti-woman. Because feminism doesn't like being a woman. Feminism wants to make a woman into a man. So then how could you dare say feminism is for the woman? Feminism is for the woman being like the man. That's not womanly. That's lesbianism. It's consuming this nation. All right. First Kings 22 and four. And Ben-Hadad, now this was the king of the Assyrians, bad guy, very bad guy. Israel's enemy. He sent messengers. He didn't even show up himself. This is what kings did. They always sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city and said to him, thus says Ben-Hadad, your enemy. Your silver and your gold is mine. Your wives and your children, even the best, are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, what? <laughs> my lord. <laughs> you call the prophet your enemy, you call your enemy your lord. Yeah. My lord, O king, according to your saying, I am yours and all that I have. Yeah, what, what just happened there? <laughs> you fought the prophet, but this dirty king shows up just on a whim And says, listen to me, king of Israel, your gold's mine, your silver's mine, your wives are mine, your kids are mine. Everything you have that's awesome is mine. And the king of Israel says, yes, sir. (laughs) That is a sissy. (laughs) How confused is Ahab when he calls the prophet, have you found me, mine enemy? And he calls his enemy, my lord. Something's wrong in Ahab here. Happens in America. They see the preacher as the enemy. They see the dirty friend as their best friend. We can't confuse this. This thing's pretty simple. Women, how would you feel if somebody sent your your husband an email and said, I'm going to come rape your wife and kidnap your children and rob your home. And your husband sent an email back and said, all right, the door is unlocked. That's just what he did. That's exactly what he did. Honey, um, somebody who has intimidated me has uh, told me that I'm supposed to give him, you, our three children, and all of our stuff. And because I'm so spineless and sissified and panty-wasted, I said yes, sorry. <laughs> or we, just a side note, it just occurred to me, he could have said, yes, Jezebel is gone. <laughs> he doesn't know who I'm married to. <laughs> Maybe it went down like that. I don't know. He said, if, if she'll go, he can have the kids and the money. If I can just be free from her. Maybe. No, I, I think what we're seeing is how spineless he is here. But see, husbands, if you don't rise up and take charge, this is what you're doing anyway. You're letting the devil who Ben-Hadad represents come and take your wife, come and take your kids, come and take your finances because you won't stand up against the enemy. You won't be the head of your home. You won't be the spiritual leader. You won't be the prayer guardian. You won't be the guy that prays with the kids, the guy that prays with the woman, the one who prays in the finances. And if you're going to be like Ahab, then Hadad's going to come own you. And just by you not doing this, you're automatically writing a letter saying, yes, sir. Yes, "Yes, my Lord, you may have what you would like. Now, there's got to be a little bit more fight in you to say, no, devil, that's my wife. No, devil, those are my children. No, devil, that's our money. God gave it to me, and you cannot have it. we got to be careful we're not rolling over playing Ahab. Point one, Ben-Hadad is nothing but a Syrian bully, demanding Israel be given to him. And Ahab, whose responsibility it is to say no and fight unto death against any such threat, says, okay, I surrender. (laughs) Now, he didn't even write a dirty letter back. He didn't even say, uh, come and take me. In fact, I'm trying to think, there was a, a new word I just learned. And it's named after these, these uh, folks in the Greek times. And it's a word, Pastor Titus, you may help me. You, you have better English than I do. The word that means something succinctly spoken with very few words. It's named after some people in the Greek times. And um, one, of the, one of the kings, the Persian kings, said, uh, if we invade you, we will kill everybody and plunder your land. That was the threat. If we invade, basically saying surrender now. And so this group of people wrote a letter back and said, if. And that was it. Succinct to the point. uh, You said if he didn't even write something like that back. He just said, I give uncle without even a fight. Man, you got to fight. Modern Ahabs also surrender without a fight. They don't like confrontation, even when it is necessary some some men uh, you you know man your wives have to prod you honey you going to do something about this honey you going to have to you going to do something honey you going to do something about this that can't be be you husband your wife can't be the one prodding you to do something your wife has to be the one holding you back honey don't don't go don't go do that honey let's pray some more before you go pick a fight but how come so many husbands in America the wife has to say honey are you going to do something honey are you going to do something honey are you going to That should never be you, husband. That you should never hear that coming out of your wife, honey, because she's terrified. Husband, your job is to provide comfort and safety. And if your wife does not feel comforted or safety, you're, you're demonstrating Ahab material here. Godly men know when and how to fight for what is right. Godly men know when. And how to fight for what's right. We're not talking about being men of war. We're not talking about always picking a fight. But you know when to and you know how to. And you do it strategically. Godly men have to protect the home. Point two. Once again Ahab is submitting to the loudest voice. Modern Ahabs are the same way. They yield to whoever has the strongest voice. Even when they Ahab are the one God has placed in authority. Just like here in this local church, I am the voice of authority and I don't care how big the Jezebel is that comes in or how big the rebel is that comes in. I don't care if they're bigger than me, older than me, richer than me, smarter than me. They're not in charge. And so when they want to be rebellious, I've got to confront them. That's true. Same with your home. You, fathers, you have a right to tell your kids who they can't, can't, can and can't hang out with. You have a right to tell your wife what she will and won't spend money on. Don't let your wife bankrupt you. This is biblical. But at the same time, you've got to have that wisdom about you. And Ahab's. it's just easier just to kick back and do nothing. It's, it's just easier for an Ahab just to, case okay, Sirrah, Sirrah, whatever will be, will be, and just kind of go with the flow, the lazy river mentality. Now, this thing is a fight upstream. If you hadn't noticed, and God's given you a paddle, the word of God, and you're supposed to paddle and scout out. And men, your wife's looking for you to be a strong leader. A voice of authority, a voice that hears from God, a voice that protects the home, a voice that knows what heaven wants, a voice that can see danger on the horizon. That's what your wife's looking for, men. Point three, Ahab won't even fight for his family or his money. Modern Ahabs are just as apathetic, lazy, lethargic, sluggish. They will allow their heritage to be plundered by the enemy. Fathers, if you lose your children, you are an Ahab. You've got to fight for your kids. You've got to be praying for them, watching over them. Know what's going on. Notice when your child's countenance falls. Something's not right. Know when your child's doing well. Know when something has all of a sudden changed your child. Be able to detect changes in their voice. That's a good father. I I can do it as a pastor, and I'm not even with you like you are your children. I can tell when your voice changes. I can tell when your countenance falls, and it becomes my job as a church father to guard you and watch after you. Don't just roll over and play possum and let ben own you. Ahab won't even fight for his money or his family. Modern Ahabs are just as apathetic. They follow, excuse me, they will allow their heritage to be plundered by the enemy. Let's go on, 1 Kings 20, 13 through 14. And behold, there came a prophet unto Ahab, not Elijah, but another prophet. He was always having prophets come and help him. Came unto Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus says the Lord, Hast thou seen all this great multitude? Ben-Hadad's at knocking at the door. That's what he's talking about. War has come. Behold, I will deliver it into your hand this day. Notice, regardless of how lazy and bad Ahab is, he's still the man in charge, and God's still going to help him. That ought to encourage you. No matter what you've done up until now, you're still the man in charge, and God's going to help you. No matter how lazy you've been, how dirty you've been, how negligent you've been, God's still going to help you. Because he will for his word's sake. Because he's going to honor the authority he's given you. He said, behold, I will deliver it into your hand this day and you will know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, by whom? Uh, By you, of course, you're the guy in charge. By whom, he said, thus says, and he said, thus says the Lord, even by the young men of the provinces. Then he said, who shall order the battle? (laughs) And he said, You. Who's supposed to make the decision, God? Um, the king. Who would that be? Oh, is that me? Oh. Yes, it's you. That's why you're called King Ahab. That's why you're called Daddy. That's why you're called Husband. Well, who's supposed to make the decision? Daddy. Husband. And we got husbands and daddies who are like, um, Honey, do you, you want to make the call here? <laughs> it's really sad. We try to laugh about it so you don't feel so ashamed. Point one, the prophet, the Lord, speaks to the head of Israel, no one else. He didn't go to the captain of the army. He didn't go to the captain of the navy. He didn't go to the captain of the archery force. He went to the king. Because God always talks to his man in charge. And that's you, father. That's you, daddy. That's you, husband. That's you, boss. The Lord said he would deliver Ben-Hadad into Ahab's hands, not Jezebel's hands. Husband, stop waiting for your wife to hear from heaven. You're the one God's going to talk to. Now, your wife will hear from heaven. She's a born-again child of God. But she won't hear from heaven as clearly as you will for your little kingdom. Stop waiting for your wife to be the spiritual one. You be the spiritual one. God never, ever spoke. We proved that in the Jezebel curriculum. God never once ever talked to Jezebel, not even on the day of her death when Jehu killed her. He didn't even acknowledge her. He just said, somebody throw her out the window. Splat, She went. The Lord spoke to uh, Ahab, not Jezebel. Neither the Lord nor any messenger ever of God ever speaks to Jezebel. God always deals with those he has placed in authority. This includes husbands. Every husband should be prepared to hear and obey the leadings and guidings of God. Husbands, your wives should take solace and comfort knowing you're going to hear from heaven. They ought to have such rest. Hey, you know what? We're going through hell right now. It's falling apart. But my husband's been praying every night and I'm praying for him. He's praying to hear from heaven. I'm praying to he hears from heaven. He's going to hear from heaven. God's going to talk to him. God's going to have the solution. We're going to hear from heaven as a family and this thing's going to be okay. It should be that way. This, of course, requires that you as a man be a man and not just a person with guy plumbing. Just because you have guy plumbing does not make you a man. Just because you use the bathroom standing up does not make you a man. right. You've got to be a man. I've got to go quick. I've got five minutes. Ahab did not know who would order the battle. Himself, of course, Ahab was afraid to make decisions. Godly men are not afraid to call the shots and make a decision. You should try it sometime. God will back you up. <laughs> Especially if you've never made decisions, just step out there and make one and watch God back you up, and you'll go, Ooh, I picked what we're eating for dinner. It was kind of fun. Ooh, I I picked where we're going out for dinner. It was kind of fun. Your wife just wants you to make a decision, she'll back you up. Is that right, ladies? You just want the man to make the decision? Yeah. Just make the decision, and we'll go on with it. Good Lord because all this political correctness. Oh, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Oh, you decide. No, you decide. No, you decide. What is this, your first date? No, you decide. No, you decide. No, you decide. (laughs) Jesus. After Ahab spared Ben-Hadad, look at 1 Kings 20, 42, 43. And the prophet said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man who I appointed to utter destruction, therefore thy life shall be for his life and thy people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house heavy and displeased and came to Samaria. What happened there is they won the battle, but Ahab would not kill Ben-Hadad, the man who basically said, I want your wife and your kids. That's enough to kill somebody right there. You, you don't make a threat like that. I'm, you're going, I will hunt you down unless your name's Ahab. So he, notice I have underlined there. He went to bed heavy and displeased. Oh, we're going to be slaves now. I'm sad. Look at 1 Kings 21.4. And Ahab came into the house heavy and displeased. That was over not getting a vineyard. He's showing the same attitude when God's judged him and commanded him to go into slavery as when he doesn't get a vineyard. He acts the same way. Now, if you need me to interpret this for you, God telling you, you and your family are going to be slaves is a lot more serious than you not getting a vineyard. But in his heart, he doesn't see it as equal. He's not spiritual. He's not spiritually minded. You don't cry over not getting a vineyard. You weep and mourn when you've just been judged and you're going to go into slavery. Point one, Ahab is emotionally immature. Actually, let's finish the last part of 21.4. And he laid himself down upon his bed and turned away his face and would not eat bread. Sounds like a little girl throwing a temper tantrum. (laughs) Ahab is emotionally immature. When prophesied against, he whimpers like a little girl. When he doesn't get his vineyard, he whimpers like a little girl. Godly men don't cry over spilt milk and they don't pout and withdraw. Godly men run to the prayer closet when they get denied. They don't run to their pout closet. Did you know it's not biblical to have a pout closet? (laughs) You are commanded to have a prayer closet, a prayer time. Point two, Ahab does not understand the weightiness of God's judgments versus natural letdowns. Hear that very carefully, men. You've got to recognize there is a difference between God's judgments and natural letdowns. We have all been let down naturally. Do not let that phase you. If you let a natural letdown phase you, you're not in faith. Faith can change a natural letdown because you and I both know concerning this vineyard he wanted. If he have talked to God, God had given him a hundred vineyards. Yes. But he pouts because Naboth won't give him one little vineyard. He pouts equally over God's judgment as he does Naboth's denial. Naboth was the guy who owned the vineyard he wanted. Perhaps more over Naboth's refusal to sell. Notice then with that, when he goes, lays down on the bed, pouts, turns his face to the wall, won't eat. He didn't do that over God saying your people will be in slavery. He just says, oh, that's too bad. This is also with the loss of the vineyard, he doesn't eat. This also shows an immature understanding of spiritual things. Talking about the attributes of Ahab, real quick last verse. Second Chronicles 18, one and two. Now, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance. This is when he's wanting Ahab is wanting someone to go to war with him. So he gets Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. So they're going to be in a league together. Now, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance and had joined affinity with Ahab. Now, that in the Hebrew means he had married into the family. When it says he had joined affinity, it means Jehoshaphat had married into Ahab's family. That's important. After certain years, he went down to Samaria. Jehoshaphat reigned from Jerusalem, Samaria, and Jezreel down a little bit lower towards the coast. That's where Ahab and Jezebel were reigning from. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance, and for the people that he had with him, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. Notice this: There are two kings fighting the common enemy. They're related by blood now, or by marriage, and yet Ahab still feels he has to bribe him. He feels like he's got to win his affection, he's got to win his loyalty, and this shows his insecurity and his lack of trust. Ahab is insecure even when Jehoshaphat has married into his family. And would by all rights be faithful to Ahab, Ahab still wines and dines him to gain his friendship and allegiance. Godly men don't have to buy friends or allegiances, nor are they paranoid about whether or not they will be betrayed. Godly men are secure and they make friendships that are enduring. Rise up, O man of God, be strong, be courageous, be bold, and don't be an Ahab. So there's about six months of teaching in 45 minutes. Study it on your own. Hopefully, you men will rise up. I know you will. Love you. We'll have regular service in 13 minutes.